gentlemen, go for hockey on KITN TV Channel 29 in Minneapolis in the Bronx. They really fooled Stauber. Here's a block by Hankinson. He gets it to Bischoff. One man trailing. It's Cates moving right in on goalie centers and they score! It's January 20th, 1990, and David is camped out this Saturday night in front of the television. The Gopher hockey game he watched was a 5-2 blowout against their in-state rivals, UMD Bulldogs, ending in time for him to switch over to the new Doctor Who on Channel 2. This is a flashback Metabulous 2 podcast on Remembrance of the Daleks. Welcome, everybody, to episode 108 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, featuring me, Ben, recovering from a cold. And David. He must have got some con crud from Gallifrey. <laughs> uh, either con crud or delta crud. Um, <laughs> on the airplanes. <laughs> on the airplane. Though I have to say, God, LAX is the worst airport. Jeez. It's weird. Anyway. It is very yeah. weird. And you would have thought. It's kind they've... of run down, too. Well, yeah, it's really run down. You would have thought like it'd be all like, ooh, Los Angeles, but it's mm-hmm. just awful. God. How's the airport in Seattle? Um, better. Okay. Uh, well, better than LA, but All that's right. that's kind of damning with faint praise, to be honest. Yeah, Portland actually has a really nice airport. Portland airport is nice. Yes, always you're right. nice to get back into Portland. Yeah, I'll have to say it, it makes it makes Minneapolis's airport look look amazing. Though, <laughs> of course, the traffic at Minneapolis airport is mm, just the worst. Yes. So, yeah. well, I've there taken you go. well my my survival trip for going to Minneapolis is going into the second terminal. Never go into the main terminal. Yeah, you go into the Nazi terminal. You go into the... Oh, no, sorry, not the, the no, no, Nazi not terminal. The non-Lindbergh terminal. The non-Lindbergh terminal. Yes, That's you the, go to uh, the... It's the Humphrey terminal. Yeah, you go to the, you go to the, the liberal terminal, <laughs> not the uh, conservative terminal. Yes. Well, and that's a good segue into Remembrance of the Daleks, which, of course, yeah. is, is, has a subtext. Well, not really a subtext. Well, it's Daleks. Has, has an overtext about <laughs> Nazism. Yeah. Or fascism or something. Yeah. Daleks. Uh, well, Daleks, it's uh, not necessarily Nazism. I think the overtext is racism in general. And, 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 and you know Daleks. What? You know what? Racism is bad. That is the message of Remembrance of the Daleks, that don't don't be a racist. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike does get a bad ending, but uh, that's, that's getting ahead of ourselves. So. It is, it is. Okay. I think it begins pretty good, actually. I, th- yeah. I think it begins pretty good with the pre-credit bit. We don't often get that in Doctor oh, Who. Oh, yeah, in space and stuff. We get JFK, so it's kind of a classic B-movie sci-fi beginning where you have the optimistic leaders of Earth right. all saying, and you hear them through the radio waves and you pull back and then you see the big mothership of the alien invasion force heading towards Earth. So it has really good B-movie cred opening. I, I like that, and yeah. I like that in my Doctor Who. Yeah, no, that's it, that was good. And of course, I mean, you know, there's no mystery about who the aliens are. No, no, not with the title being Not with it the is. title. It's It's got to be It's got to be the old Daleks. But... What kind of Daleks do they end up being? So mm-hmm. that's that's pretty good. And it is a it is a twist on the Daleks to have the two factions. I think was introduced with Revelation. Yeah. And here in Remembrance, it's carrying on to that. So it does give some 
interest into the Daleks than what we would have previously with like in Destiny where it's the Movellans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, I guess the Dalek <laughs> factions is fine. The Daleks themselves are not looking at their best, I feel, during Remembrance of the Daleks. Um, well, they are, uh, what, 25 years old? Some now? of them are 25 <laughs> years old. Um, I think some of them are... Lo- I mean, certainly, I do not care for the uh, the white and gold. It's mm-hmm. very, very kind of 80s bathroom mm-hmm. um, colors. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not good. I don't care for their movement over cobbled streets yeah daleks going over cobblestones is a bit uh bit rough on the casters for <laughs> the daleks well, I, I i read somewhere that they'd replace the casters with those kind of big round balls hmm. that you get in like uh did you have wheelbarrows like that yeah over, yeah, yeah with, the, with yeah. the big balls rather than mm-hmm. than than wheels I think that's what they replaced the casters with but whatever they did it didn't work right um you know and i can see I can see what they were trying to do, and mm-hmm. it's very laudable. I mean, okay, let's go straight into it. Wobbly Daleks. You know, the rails that they had in A Death to the Daleks, that's the way to do Daleks on location. Right. Really, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, they they tried to make them mobile, but then they are wobbly and rock back and forth, so it doesn't, doesn't glide like Daleks should glide. Daleks glide. It's one of their things. Um, mm-hmm. And since the show actually, well, since this episode story explicitly states that basically Daleks are always sort of flying, you see what I mean? Um, they right. don't actually With touch. The stairs, they don't yeah. actually touch the ground, so they can float upstairs. The fact that mm-hmm. they're obviously touching the ground and wobbling <laughs> around like weebles, I don't know. Right. So I would have, I would have gone for the death of the Daleks uh, solution and put them all on rails. Since, right. you know, this is a TV film set, whatever, you know, they've got plenty of rails mm-hmm. for cameras to run around on. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I would have done. And I would have been clever and I would have concealed those rails using uh, just not filming their feet um, or whatever. Right. Anyway, I, I I think I think it was a, it was a brave experiment to put mm-hmm. the put big balls on the Daleks. Um, <laughs> but but ultimately not successful. Mm-hmm. A little bit too wobbly for too wobbly. execution. And the Dalek uh, redesign didn't look very Dalek-y to me. Yep. They looked uh, a little tall. Like mm. the, the 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 centerpiece or the, the headpiece looked a little extended, a little mm. too little too tall from my eyes now maybe that's just a illusion based maybe it's just because of the white and gold made them look a little trashy <laughs> trumpy trumpy yeah they were <laughs> they were kind of like euston road kind of you know world of leather daleks um <laughs> the black one was good though the black one was cool i think silver accents were maybe a little bit much but mm. um yeah it was those, silver those... and red i think so it was Really? Did he have red in him as well? I thought it was just anyway, whatever. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I thought the gold, the golden, golden white Daleks. That was just that was a bit much, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the white and gold Dalek that really bugs me, I guess, would be the special weapons Dalek. Hmm. None of the Imperial Daleks can shoot straight. It, they, I mean, they have the stormtrooper syndrome. I would expect that the Daleks would have been firing up against each other and. Of course, they have Dalekanium armor, and they wouldn't be destroyed by their own own blast. So then you would have to bring in the the the, the special weapon Dalek, but but the, they just can't shoot straight. And yeah. I think that is one of the reasons why Remembrance is so highly rated is because fans of a certain age 
really remember that as being pretty incredibly awesome. Yeah, which actually, you know, it's not a it's not a bad thing. Uh, as, you, as you point out, I mean, it makes really no sense in the context of Dalek history or what Daleks do. Or And again, obviously, you know, obviously if the Daleks could shoot straight, then everyone would be dead by this point. So, of course, they've got to be. I mean, that's what storm, Stormtrooper syndrome <laughs> is. If the Stormtroopers were actually any good at their jobs, then we wouldn't have a Star Wars saga. Everyone would be dead in the first five minutes. Right. Similarly with the Daleks here, you know, fair enough. Um, they've got to be a little bit ropey with their shooting skills. Otherwise... As I said, they just win. Um, and the special weapons, Dalek, again, you know, uh, it is it is cool for, you know, kids of a certain age. And again, I think we, one has to remember that, you know, even at this point in the in the Doctor Who's history, uh, the, the show, you know, was, was still ostensibly in some way for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. And I, it's, it's, I mean, it's cool enough, but... Um, uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of a silly idea, um, and it's it's an idea that actually doesn't fit with Daleks. And I think, as far as I remember, the novelization actually makes a makes a big point of this. Mm-hmm. And Aronovich did the you know wrote the novelization right. himself that the Daleks themselves are not really happy with the special weapons Dalek. Um, I think they call it the abomination or something in the book Hmm. Um, uh, because, you know, which makes more sense. It's not pure. Right. And, you know, the whole point of of this particular Dalek story is, you know, they try to make a thing about racial purity. Right. And, you know, that's actually one of the more interesting things about the Daleks is that they are obsessed with purity and, Mm -hmm. you know, being racially, they're they're, they're kind of hideously deformed mutants, you know, wander Mm -hmm. around in kind of battle tanks. Um, yet they are also obsessed with being racially pure. That's the kind of interesting thing about them. And I thought the interesting thing was the renegades, I think, were the more pure Daleks. They were the, yes. they were the more blobby ones. It was the bioengineered imperial Daleks, probably uh, enhanced by Davros himself, yep. that were not the pure original collared mutant strain of Dalek. Which is why it's cool that you know it's 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 those Daleks who end up being killed. So it's like, yay, proper Daleks beat imposter Daleks, but then they all they all get killed anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't really. I mean, the two the best Daleks, in, in my opinion, um, and this podcast is you know partly about my opinion. Um, <laughs> the best Daleks are grey Daleks. Mm-hmm. That's the color of Daleks, mm-hmm. um, and the Daleks' leader should be the black and gold Dalek from Planet of the Daleks. That is the best that is the best leader of the Daleks. So you were if of the two Dalek uh, factions, you were on Team Renegade then. I am Team Renegade one hundred percent. Yeah, Team Imperial. Don't 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 talk to me, Team Imperial. So I'm kinda surprised that you weren't all on board with this because this is this is Dalek Extreme. We have Daleks battling Daleks. Yeah, yeah, but again, you know, I'm old school. I mean, I know, I know you're not a huge Dalek fan. No, um, not which, terribly, which is but... which is fine. Um, but uh, you know, these this wasn't old school enough for me, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, <laughs> and I, I just I just didn't like I just didn't like the I just didn't like the I didn't like the white and gold Daleks. I just mm. didn't like them, and mm-hmm. I didn't like the wobbliness either. That would just seem to me to be silly. It's like, well, especially I yeah, I think I, 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 I don't know how they would have done it, but you know, well, you just have... you just said they put them on rails. Put them on rails, but then you know there were crane shots, which would have been hard to do, I guess. Though I guess they would have been less wobbly. But you know, I mean, you are you are filming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you do have rails. 
um, for cameras to go on. Just stick the Daleks on the rails and, mm-hmm. and have done with it and just have them wobble. Because they look like Teletubbies or something, or Weebles is what they look <laughs> weebles, like. Weebles, Weebles, Wobbles. Yeah, they're like Weebles, we, they're, they're the Weeble Daleks, mm-hmm. Invasion of the Weebles, yep. Yeah, well, the thing the thing that was really odd about them wobbling is, as you said, the the, the scene at the end of uh, part one with the Dalek levitating up the staircase, yeah. rock, rock solid there. And so you would think that the Dalek would in, enjoy the same type of stabilization leveling technology that it's using to uh, climb staircases. You think so, yeah. Going across cobbles and streets, but uh, apparently nope. not. Nope, they wobble it, it did, like weebles. It did take it did take the viewer, or at least uh, you and I, out of out of the Dalek action. Little bit, yes. Mm-hmm. And I think I mean I would have rather have suspended disbelief with kind of you know rails intermittently mm-hmm. visible, rather than you know Daleks kind of lurching about like they're drunk. You know, I wonder if you put down uh, boards or something and uh, scenic them to look like cobbles or. Just asphalt on, or something filmed it on non-cobbly streets i mean there are streets in london that don't have cobbles <laughs> um the americans may find that surprising um but even back in the days of 1988 there were streets <laughs> in london that did not have cobbles and were modern streets that had asphalt where daleks could glide mm-hmm. rather than wobble well they were trying to go for a uh, 1963 uh setting <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, how how effective did you think was that 1963 setting? It had it. <laughs> it it worked well in some places. I think. Uh, I I think it worked okay. Yeah, it worked good enough. It did look a little 1980s to me in places. Yeah. The thing that I really noticed uh, there's this one scene where there was a lot of uh, steel bullards. That looked more contemporary to the 1980s in design than I would have expected to find that number of bullards uh, in the road protecting the walk and just the design that they yeah. had. It just didn't look it didn't look period. But yep. that that said, I think the location shooting was really really pretty good. I like good location scouting. I guess they have a school in Hammersmith, St. John's School, is a stand-in for Coal Hill School. Uh, Totters Lane, I thought, was really good. That's a, uh, a steam museum in Kew Bridge. Oh, so okay. I, I think the, the location shooting that they did and then with the set design that they were able to replicate what you would think inside Coal Hill School in, in studio, and it meshed really well with the location shooting in St. John's School in Hammersmith there. So right. I, I think just the, this, the various scouted locations that they did have really worked pretty well yeah it's i mean i obviously i wasn't around in london in 1963 so i can't really speak for <laughs> exactly what it looked like um they I, have anachronisms that creep in you in like in the long shots you'll see a, a contemporary london city bus go through and... yeah I, there was certainly some graffiti knocking about which i had i'd been the location manager whoever's job it is to like make locations look as though they're from 1963 i probably would have kind of whitewashed out that graffiti yeah there's some tagging that i spotted mm-hmm. that definitely isn't 1963 mm-hmm. um and there's that weird figure on the school doors which i originally thought more oh, maybe this is something that i'd forgotten and amounts to something but it's just someone scrawled a weird figure on the door <laughs> um so there's that but yeah no it's 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 um it's pretty good mm-hmm. i'll have to say you know Actually, the most the most anachronistic thing in terms of kind of placing it in a time is the music that 
ace plays out of her um, boombox, to be honest. <laughs> well, that, I think, was supposed to be the setup, that it is anachronistic, and which is why the Doctor was very happy when Ace's boombox was destroyed. <laughs> well, I, well I, sorry, my point was is that that's not the kind of music that a girl oh, like Ace would have been right. playing out of her uh, boombox mm-hmm. in 1987. Um, yeah. Well, that yeah. was specially written by Kef McCullough, I believe. Yeah, was it? Well, that's a surprise that it's crap then. Because um, <laughs> he's... He's he's a great favorite of mine. I think he's one of the, one of the greatest composers ever. To, I just can't. I sorry. I mean, sorry, Kef McCulloch fans. I know we're losing listeners as I, but I really can't get on with his with his with his mm. all that plinkety plink. It's just so not a. I mean, it's I didn't so like 80s. it in the eighties. I didn't yeah. like, I, and I, I you know I was in the eighties. I remember what it was like. I I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. I just think unfortunately he was kind of wrong for the show. Well, but there you go. I'm thinking this is probably his most liked uh, by me, it's not. <laughs> score. Well, of all all the scores, but I, I'll have to go <laughs> back and by listen. Who? Uh, it's a continuum. Kev fans. <laughs> there, there surely has to be some that exist. That's true. That's true. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you're the, you're you're a far greater expert on Doctor Who music mm-hmm. than I am, so I'll bow to your about well, your superior opinion. Kef is uh, not my favorite of the '80s. I'll leave it at that. And okay. there is. There is a scene a little bit later in the episode when uh, it's ruined effectively by McCullough's uh, humorous, humorous uh, sounds. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in part two. The doctor is talking to group captain Gilmore and he's saying frightening, isn't it? To find there are others better versed in death than humans. And Kef McCullough ruins it by making it womp, womp, womp type (laughs) <laughs> you know well, it's supposed to be this big dramatic sad moment, trombone sound but it's sad it, 80s trombone well it's sad synthesizer <laughs> it, but I mean. it's not well it's it's comedic synthesizer so the some of the musical tones and notes are, are the, the the points that mccullough is making here whether this is through the direction uh, instructing it or with the, right. or with the mccullough himself it just the musical humor ruins or undercuts some of the drama which is supposed to be a, a really i think a tense scene mccullough plays it for humor or irony yeah because he certainly kind of like plinky plonks it up mm-hmm. like when he shouldn't and he, but basically the music is all in all, always in the wrong place so mm-hmm. um anyway i don't want to be negative about kef but i guess that's what i'm being uh-huh. So on the cast, the first uh, guest cast that we see is Pamela Salem, which... Yes. Toos. So that is a winner, I think. We yes. have Professor Rachel Jensen. Yes. And I think uh, I think the whole guest cast is more or less pretty spot yes. on in their performances. Yeah. I, it's, it's good to see Toos again. On sidebar, we, we, we saw an excellent Toos cosplay at um, Gallifrey One, which we, we were did. very pleased by. Yeah. Um, good to see her again. Um uh, the butler from uh, from Fresh Prince of Fresh <laughs> oh, Prince of Bel Air, Jeffrey. It's always, it's always good to see Joseph him. Marcel. Yeah, exactly. It's always good to see him. Well, he um, has one of the probably the best scenes with does, the McCoy yes, in the whole I'm being thing. Facetious. Yeah, right. But you know, this was before his Fresh his Prince. His Fresh Prince years, exactly. Mm-hmm. But that, um, but the whole sugar scene is in what? But part two. That is. Yep. There are there's always these scenes that you call back when they do edits of how great Doctor Who is. One of them is the Doctor remembering his family and Tomb of the Cybermen. This right. is another quintessential 
doctory moment where he reflects on history and the different courses that history can go. And John uh, does a really, really nice counter to the doctor. Um, the doctor's getting all broody and, you know, history has a lot of consequences. And then uh, John, the character who behind the counter in the cafe says, oh, life's like that. Best thing is just to get on with it. So it's it's a nice counterpoint to the doctor's inner broody, broody, this, broody man. This ancient, yeah. ancient time lord who yes. is uh, personal chums with Rassilon and Omega. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thumb of Rassilon and all of that. So, what do you um, what do you think of that? Um, I, it's good. I, I think it's a little heavy handed, uh, but good. But good. I mean, it's it is. Do you think it's heavy handed because of the age that we came on it, which is you know, early twenties, late teens? Do you think it would be heavy handed for children? I think, yeah, maybe not heavy handed for. Ch- I don't. It's it's unexpected. Um, uh, I mean, Doctor Who in the past, when it's dealt with, you know, bad racism, right, is uh, has done it. It's kind of uh, shown, not told. Mm-hmm. That scene is more of a tell, not show scene, mm-hmm. uh, which is fine. Um, I think, I think, again, as we, I think we, as we said with Dragonfire, I mean, I think you know, again, this is a young, right, a young showrunner, producer, yeah. whatever we want to call. Well, this is editor. Ben Aronovich's first script, and it's Ben Aronovich's first script. And you know, mm-hmm. now he's become you know a famous writer. You know, Ben right. Aronovich is the, the is the real deal. So you know, this is all young people, you right. know, making a go at making their favorite show and having their favorite show do all the things that they remember their favorite show did, which is like be. Um, you know, against racism and be for good things rather than the bad things, but also to also be dark and mysterious as well at the same time. Right. So yeah, I mean, I think you have to. I think you have to cut them some slack. Um. Mm-hmm. So yes, I'm and I'm definitely cutting, um, uh, the butler from um, Fresh Prince of Bel Air some <laughs> slack there. Um, in in his scene. Um, I was delighted as usual to see Mr. Bronson from um from Grange Hill uh, make an appearance. Yeah. Michael Sheard, yes, exactly. I think he did that as a personal favor to the director. Really, uh, I Andrew didn't know Morgan. That. I think he knew. I think I don't know for certain, but I I vaguely recall that Morgan and Sheard knew each other, and it was the director's suggestion that Sheard played the headmaster. Kind of the well, evil headmaster, <laughs> the the demon headmaster, if you will, um, because as I said he was a he was a he was a big figure in the eighties with Grange Hill, yeah. as Mister Bronson, and again, of course, he's a huge figure in terms of Doctor Who. He's basically, I think, acted with every Doctor. Um, he's a huge, or was sadly because he's dead now. He's a you know he's in Star Wars, not mm-hmm. Star Wars. Yes, he was in Star Wars. Played he? Hitler many times. He was in Indiana Jones and the. One where he Last met Crusade, Hitler. Yep. Last Crusade, <laughs> Indiana Jones and Hitler. Again, you know, just to, my, my obviously my favorite Michael Sherd, uh, whose story is Pyramids of Mars, where right. the pathos of that character is just extraordinary. So mm-hmm. great to see him. Nice to see him being a headmaster. Good to see him being evil. Mm-hmm. Um, though I guess he was evil in, um, in uh, the one with the giant shrimps. Invisible Enemy. Uh, Visible Enemy, exactly. Um, so yeah, he was another mm-hmm. fantastic guest star. Yeah. 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 And the Dalek special effects, I think the weapons look good. I think the Dalek yep. perspective, the view looked really good. The little Dalek writing. So this is, we're, we're seeing a more modern Dalek here that we would be getting, uh, you know, in 15 years time with RTD. Yep. We're, we're, we're getting a taste of what Daleks will become in the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, yes, you are. You are getting more of a taste of what Daleks will become. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the practical effect in terms of the Dalek shuttlecraft? 
it's impressive in that they tried it, I think. <laughs> you gotta hand it to him. You gotta hand it to him. Why don't we just make it real? Yeah, Aronovich said this should be a model shot or a visual effect shot, but they... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Morgan said, no, we're making this real. So big yeah. crane. They went 12,000 pounds over budget. Went for it. <laughs> it shows that they're trying to spend money on it. It just, it's... it still isn't very convincing, though. <laughs> it's 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 a completely audacious, and you've got to give them kudos mm-hmm. for that. But yeah, it's not, a, you're not, it's not hugely more convincing than a model would have been, to right. be honest. Uh, and it, actually, you know, if you've got some of the BBC modelers, you know, modelers, you know, model makers to do a model of Coal Hill School mm-hmm. and then drop a, a spaceship onto it, that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's kind of not quite right. It was probably impressive at the time. I don't think, I don't know if it is impressive or not. I think what's impressive is that they tried it. Yeah. And again, I, th- I think you're, you're, <laughs> that's exactly my assessment. Like, well done for giving it a go. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, that then shuttlecraft then had to appear with monotonous regularity in the the strip in um, Doctor Who magazine, which always kind of vaguely irked me. But the thing anyway, that, yeah, the thing that bothers me about it job. is it's blocky, it's modular. It's like something out of Space 1999 more designed than Dalek with the saucers. You would expect yeah. the saucers with the Daleks. Not Dalek-y looking, exactly. And again, it's kind of ironic. I mean, obviously, you know, the model work at the BBC has always been, you know, a... Uh, benchmark for right. awesome model work they could have easily made a model of mm-hmm. Hill school and had a shuttlecraft descending and it would have been as pleasing to me as right. a practical effect i mean again you know i mean you, you made the point is that that maybe you know one of the things that this season is doing is thinking more about kids again in which case you know i can't say what a you know what a kind of 10 11 year old would have thought of that practical mm-hmm. effect because of course i was um, I was 28 years old at that point. No, I wasn't. I was in my early 20s. Right. Yeah. Well, I wonder if that show is really thinking about kids because this is the 25th anniversary and this first episode especially is just loaded with fan wank. We have the French Revolution book that Susan had, just yep. the kind of parallel of Susan's transistor radio, listening to John Smith and the Common Men, and then Ace's boombox, listening to Kath McCullough. <laughs> but just set in Coal Hill School, we have I Am Foreman Scrapyard. Spelt wrong. Yeah. I, I, I wonder, I wonder with that if they could go in the Blu-rays and have a new visual effect, repaint that fence. You know who we should have asked? We should have asked, what's his name from the Blu-ray documentary team making person that we met at Gallifrey One. We should have said, go back and fix that. You know, and that would have been a question. Well, I guess Steve Roberts really is. Is he really Steve Roberts. Is he? Well, it know. was Chapman who was doing the... Do the extras. Yeah. But he's got some clout. Chapman, right. he could get it done. But it's a, know, it would be maybe. a digital effect. So yeah. you would think that they could repaint that digitally. Yeah. And put the E in. And, you know, you always have the misspelling of the original. But it would be nice, I think. Yeah. Since they, Why not? since they're so, I mean, it's so loaded with fan fan references from, you know, earlier Dalek stories when the Doctor is explaining who the dogs are to Ace, when they mention yep. the Zygons, the Yeti, Zygon Gambit, we yeah, have Yeti on the tube, yeah, we have a transmat in the basement. It's just loaded. And I actually, I was thinking, when was an unearthly child released on um, VHS? Hmm. Well, to the internet, that's a good question. Because um, I suspect that actually. No one, apart from, you might have been gone to like, you know, Panopticon or something, like a hardcore super fan, you may have seen an unearthly child, but a kind of a regular fan, 
which I guess is, you know, maybe what I was, mm-hmm. may not have even known that no, I am... It was released in February 1990, so that was there after, after this. There you go. We didn't know. We didn't know that I Am Foreman was spelled wrong until Ian Levine told us. <laughs> yeah, so, or, no, it was spelled correctly in the novelization, right? Yeah, I guess the novelization. And in Doctor well, Who no, magazine. When, 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 when did the novelization come out? The novelization came out in 1981. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So that okay. had been well, out for, what, out for seven, eight years. Maybe it wasn't spelled right in the novelization. Nah. Ooh. Nah. It must, must have, been. have been. It must have been spelled right. Sadly, my, my target novelizations are literally 5,000 miles away, mm-hmm. so um, I can't check that right now. Yeah. Anyway, well, so that's, that's a sad. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. There you go. We we had talked about the the Aronovich and Cartmel being young young, young writer, young scriptwriter, yep. but I think the dialogue that Aronovich has is an improvement over last seasons with uh, Briggs, who is also another young writer. I think some of the dialogue is more sparkling. It has more yep. more uh, life to it, and just uh, the bit where the doctor says to group captor Gilmore, Gilmore's going, what am I dealing with? Little green men. And the doctor says, no, little green blobs and bonded polycarbite armor. It's, it's a nice little line. It's, there's some thought behind it. It's, I think it's fan service, but it's also, um, helps the audience understand what's going on. So it's, it's a bit of both and it just makes you smile. At least makes me smile as a doctor who fan to hear McCoy say it. Yeah. And they've, they've, they've sharpened up. I mean, it's still, I mean, again, this is another interesting conversation. I think that we had at, at Galley, Galley West. I'm, we're supposed to call it Galley, aren't we? Um, about, you know, can Americans tell whether Ace is actually <laughs> a convincing lower middle class, working class right. London girl or not? No, they can't, but she isn't very convincing. However, they have sharpened up her dialogue a little bit for Sophie Aldred. We've right. got rid of Bilgebag, which is a name that no one calls anybody. No one has ever been called a Bilgebag outside of Doctor Who. They've reinstated Torag, which is a lot more accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. I mean, she still really is, is kind of a weird... Uh, the whole ace, exactly who ace is, is kind of weird, certainly for British people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for American people, it's fine, because again, you guys can't tell. Um, you know, we just don't have from, the cultural touchstones. To... You can't tell the queen from Pat Butcher, basically. <laughs> um, Pat Butcher being the landlord, uh, landlady of the um, the Queen Vic in Albert Square in EastEnders. Um <laughs> One of the landladies. Uh, so, but yeah, it's so. I mean, they're they're they're, at, they're actually they've done some work and they're actually making the character better. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're doing this as a, as an Ace rewatch. And I I you know I was really enjoying the character mm-hmm. of Ace throughout. I thought it went well. And that's really a good segue for Ace herself because in the first part where the Doctor says aim for the eye stock to the soldiers, and I thought the soldiers were pretty well executed for extras. These were not stunt doubles or anything. These were basically extras dressed up as soldiers with a yep. stunt coordinator doing a little he was in i think uh, tip tipping i think was his name and he was in sas so he kind of whipped him into shape but the doctor says aim for the eye stock and then we have that uh the dalek levitating at the end of part one and then they get their rocket grenades or whatever some kind of weapon that ace shoots and the doctor is surprised he goes you destroyed it and Ace paying attention to what the doctor was saying in the junkyard. She said, I aim for the eyepiece. So you immediately know that Ace is just more with it than some of the other companions have been with the doctor yeah. recently. Yep. 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 
I mean, just sort of just as a nerd sidebar, the uh, uh, this is the RAF regiment that we're looking at, and right. that is pretty screw. That is pretty accurate. The uniforms, helmets, weaponry, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 very well done. The BBC again. If the BBC can do anything well, they can do period drama, set something at any time outside like the current day, and they do an excellent job. So that was good on him. I think the costumer, uh, Ken True, spent uh, time at the Imperial War Museum to get ah. get that, those things right. And um, of course but, they did. But yeah, so, and then also, there's, there's just nice details. Ace is being played as a young girl, 16, but by an older... Yeah, older by a woman in her Old young twenties. <laughs> by 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 Aldred, who is in her twenties. Yes, in her twenties. Yeah. And so there, I think that's where, as an American, some of the things seem a little bit off. It doesn't seem really like a sixteen-year-old or a seventeen-year-old would go about it. It yeah. seems like uh, a twenty-year-old trying to remember what it was like. And boy, it 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 doesn't. The mind changes enough between <laughs> between them, so it's yeah. hard thing. I mean, I think it's fascinating, actually. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, of course, if we were doing this nowadays, mm-hmm. um, it would it would be a sixteen year old, I guess, it could be. Um, or an eighteen you know, year old, someone, or an eighteen year old, someone yeah. a little bit younger. You 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 want it to be slightly more awkward rather than yeah. the kind of being acting awkward. You need her to be actually awkward, mm-hmm. and I think there is a. I think it's very difficult to kind of replay the awkwardness of adolescence. Um, I just did a quick rewatch because I, I was I was really ill last week. Uh-huh. Um, so I was watching I was watching Doctor and the Green Death because it's reminds mm. me of the stuff that was coming out of my face <laughs> at that point. Um, but my copy of the Green Death has the uh, Sarah Jane uh, Adventures episode mm. on it with mm-hmm. the, uh, the 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 death of the Doctor, which then has um, Katie Manning tra- on it. Too. Uh, Katie Manning returns, and it was actually I mean I hadn't watched that for ages, and it was oh Sarah Jane Adventures is amazing, mm-hmm. and of course the young cast there who I I must be you know in their late teens really do a good job because they're awkwardly adolescent and also they're good actors right and i think it's you know anyway so mm-hmm. that's was that was in my mind this week so i think ace does or sophie eldred does a pretty good job with ace i think they do some interesting things with her in the boarding house it's nice to see her hair down i yep. i don't like the tight braid <laughs> on her i think she's much better when like in ghost light and when she right. has her hair down but maybe that's a very 80s style I just don't remember. It wasn't in, in where I was growing up. The '80s style was big hair, so I'm not sure that was. Yeah, well, that's an American thing. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, I mean, I think for someone who Ace was trying to be, which is this kind of kind of street punk girl, mm-hmm. I think having a tighter braid is actually probably more accurate than having kind of mm-hmm. you know fluffy Princess Diana um, hair. Right. Yeah, it wouldn't have been right for Ace, but it's it's a nice change of. Uh, Aldred in her uh, in her character's look. Yeah. Um, the really kind of standout scene again. This is when people complain about contemporary who being political and stuff. They just go back to remembrance with uh, Ace finding the no coloreds sign in the right. window, and then her her comment was, "I'm going to go out and get some fresh air." So yeah. we had talked a little earlier with the John Marcel, or was, yeah. is it John Marcel? Joseph Marcel, the the scene, right. that 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 scene in the cafe mm. then ties in with the the no colors in the window, mm. and you had mentioned that it's a bit heavy handed. You could see Aldred conveying Ace's disgust by that, and just the line, 
just a line going out to fresh air. But then when people are complaining that contemporary Doctor Who is too political, I think the the phrases we, uh, especially this past series eleven, that we're social justice warriors, et cetera, right, right. or SJW Doctor Who, yeah, you only have to look back to nineteen what is eighty eight, eighty nine, yeah, with remembrance. These issues were pretty out in the open. They're they're like you said, it's pretty heavy handed. Yeah. So Doctor Who hasn't really changed. It's the audience either forgetting or just not liking that it's not all about the battle between two science fiction monsters with the Imperial Daleks and the Renegade Daleks. Yeah, no, that's true. It's true. And again, you know, I mean, racism is bad kind of thing. So, yeah, you know, I I find it really confusing that people complain Mm -hmm. about a show being, you know, out front in kind of, you know, condemning that kind of stuff. But whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's some bits of humor that I think are scripted in there of the doctor and ace changing seats while driving through a tunnel. I think that's a, a kind of humorous moment. And then when the doctor goes uh, ballistic on the Dalek transmat machine, where if the baseball bat and he breaks yeah. the baseball bat over the machine, and both Allison and Rachel's mouth drops, and the doctor kind of plops them back up and yeah. <laughs> says it's time for lunch. I, I, there, there are bits of humor, I think, that are scripted where we, we're, we're seeing a fully formed McCoy with the with beginning of a second series right, here, where, right. where we have the broody Time Lord who hints that he was involved in the dark days or the ancient days of Rassilon and Omega. Right. But then the tone down of the slapdash that was in season 24 – yeah, there's less kind of spoon playing humor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's kind of better done, I think, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, we didn't mention we didn't mention Packer as a guest star. I just suddenly remembered ah, Packer's in Peter it. Peter Halliday. Yeah. yeah. If only yeah. what they should have done is they should have said, well, said I, you know, I don't know. No, what they should have done with him, he should have had like cyber eyes rather than being like a blind vicar. <laughs> they should have said, oh yeah, and I used to be a security man in the 1960s. <laughs> um, Do you think? Think uh, that would have been a fan wank too far? <laughs> it would have, it would have, it would have wanked me really well. I don't know. I would have liked that. Um, so yeah, the blind, the blind vicar, and he got blinded in the in the cyber invasion of 1960. Mm-hmm. 66 yeah he could have let slip 67 yeah anyway whatever <laughs> and then i decided to become a vicar i threw up the security business church of england they'll take anyone they'll take anyone even 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 blind ex-security men yeah so that yeah <laughs> nice nice bit of guest starring there a little bit uh a little bit uh I, again i think they probably could have found a more uh, a less convoluted way to have the vicar be present and not see the hand of Rassilon being buried other than just making him randomly blind. I don't understand why we needed the whole scene of the hand of Rassilon coffin casket being buried at all. What was the point of that? Could have cut that. Could have cut that. Because, I mean, we dig it up, um, mm-hmm. and I think that would have been a nice reveal as they go to the cemetery and there's a mysterious tombstone with, like, you know, an Omega sign on it. Right. And, um, or whatever that's. An infinity sign. What's that sign? Anyway, it's, they have a sign it's, on it. It's a, it's a Greek symbol for Omega, I thought. It's, it is. It is an Omega sign. That's it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they could have dug it up and, ooh, what's this? So, right. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if you needed that to have the Omegaized, Omegaized baseball bat? Omega? Oh, the, but then did we need to have an Omegaized baseball bat? And we've already kind of established Ace is like a, a whiz with weapons. Mm-hmm. And also that 
Daleks are susceptible to anti-tank grenades, mm-hmm. and she's got cans of Nitro Nine hanging around. So right. I, yeah, I, I actually I don't really care for the the Omegaized. I guess we have the Omega Omegaized baseball bat to like prove that the hand of Omega is as super powerful as everyone says it is. But then again. We believe the Doctor <laughs> in any case. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird that we needed the scene in the cemetery where the casket is buried and just kind of unexplicably that Mike and uh, Michael Sheard's character, the headmaster, yeah. get into a fight. And I guess we're supposed to guess that the headmaster is dead from that. That didn't seem that obvious. Violent. Yeah. yeah. It just yeah. that I mean that's a little bit of a sloppy writing point I think just the whole the whole cemetery bit I think is a little uh, could have been cut. Have been well, cut. I think this is where you know as I said, so this is a young team, a young production team who are you know super enthusiastic and mm-hmm. they just really want the show to be yeah. what they want it to be. And I think you've just got to cut us some. Well, I'm not cutting them some slack, <laughs> um, but anyway, I think in general mm-hmm. the the weak bits. Uh-huh. are to do with that i think right. you know and it could it could have done a, the script could have done with another couple of rounds mm-hmm. just to get it sharpened up but i think they're all just so excited and the right. fact that they were getting to make doctor who well they could write for the daleks I yeah mean, that's exciting if you're a lifeline lifelong fan writing for the writing a dalek story dalek story yeah who, yeah. who wouldn't want to write a dalek story daleks are awesome and yeah. another good i think ace characterization moment for the uh, cliffhanger part two where she's the dalek is going uh small human female sighted on level three and then ace goes who are you calling small and she starts bashing it yeah (laughs) bashing it with a baseball bat yeah yeah good good on you ace yeah yeah Yeah, she's got she's definitely got um moxie Mm -hmm. in terms of attacking aliens right on her yeah but then they kind of sell her short i think by having her surrounded by three really chatty golden white daleks and who (laughs) rather say exterminate than exterminate and that's our cliffhanger. The doctor comes in with this kind of disco disco light gun or Dalek confuser. Yeah. And, and then they the soldiers run in with a plastic explosive, blow up the Dalek, and uh, we see Allison use the baseball bat then to kill a Dalek that it was attacking the doctor. And that, to me, is a misfire. That should have been Ace trying to rescue the doctor and yep. just... Uh, well, she's it, kind of it, cowering on the ground for a while, right. which seems very unlike her. Or, or hurt, her ankles hurt, and that just yeah, it's that very whole Sarah Jane that yeah. whole bit, that whole little bit of scene, it seemed out of place. It didn't seem very good for Ace, and I can't imagine that the soldiers didn't see that these Daleks had this young girl surrounded, young woman surrounded, and then they decided to blow it up anyways. It yeah. Just, that I think is a a misfire of the writing that that didn't work very well. And then also, the, doesn't the doctor get all like kind of the Daleks are people too, kind of about the kill well, Daleks? Well, he just said there's there's someone there's things alive in there or something like that, and sort of like which is, yeah, which is kind of ironic. But they're Daleks, considering what he's planning to do, which is like basically exterminate <sighs> all of the Daleks and the Thals and everyone and the and the Varga plants. <laughs> and, the, and the lake of mutations and all the lovely mutations that are in that lake. Won't anyone think of the giant clams? <laughs> Won't anyone think of the clams? <laughs> no more clams. I mean, how could he? Those clams. Uh, sentient uh, cave sen- clams. <laughs> sort of sentient cave clams. At least aggressive cave <laughs> yes. clams. Yeah. yeah. 
<sighs> anyway. Yeah. So actually, incidentally, I mean, I think to me, plot wise, it's that's the. I, that's it's, the it's, that's the worst thing in the whole story. It's the weakest thing, actually, because because this is part of the Cartmo master plan. It tries to mysterious up or big up the Doctor as being one of the contemporaries or implied contemporaries of Omega and Rassilon, and that his time on Earth was there to set up this trap, this deception to blow up Scaro. Yeah, and which, carry I on. just well, yeah, okay, I just. I don't like that. Re- I, I like the doctor, and I know this is probably very traditionalist of me, conservative of me. I just like him being a wanderer in the fourth dimension, an exile from his own people because he got bored. I don't like this tendency that started with Cartmill to big up the doctor. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. Yep, 100%. Yeah, I mean, he's mysterious enough. I mean, he is mysterious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, yes, you probably have to spend a little bit of time re-mysteriorizing him from time to time, but that's, that, that doesn't mean you have to make him more powerful and weird. Right. Um, all you have to do is, you know, give him a randomizer or, you know, destroy the Time Lords or have a crack that then gets de-cracked or something. You know, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things you can mm-hmm. do to kind of re-establish his wandery, wanderiness, make him into a woman, perhaps. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, to actually make him more powerful, uh, I don't know. Don't yeah, know I, d- I don't. There's I d- no real kind of. There's no. There's no satisfying end game to that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, um, it's escalation. It's like RTD yeah. season finales. If you make them yeah. this powerful, then what are you going to do to top that? And it's yeah. I just I think it probably would have been a stronger story if uh, they left off the whole Davros blowing up Scaro bit. Yeah, I mean, the whole Davros thing was weird. I mean, there was a couple of things. One, um, you know, when Davros's, you know, I don't know, egg thing folds up and it's Davros's head. Um, a, well, they're I don't trying know. To, aren't they trying to do the Emperor Dalek from they the... They are, they are. But again, they're not, they're not doing it right because it doesn't look anything like the Emperor Dalek it's in the comic small. strips. It's too small. It's too small. There's no eye stalk. Um, there's there's no sucker. There's no, there's no gun. You know, it's not the Emperor Dalek. Mm-hmm. It's basically like an egg or something. <laughs> anyway, when his it's egg a snow thing, globe. Like, it's a snow globe. When his snow globe egg thing rolls back, like it, <laughs> the one th- made me look as though it looked as though Terry Malloy was wearing kind of Mardi Gras beads or something. It's like <laughs> they really don't, they don't really do a good job of establishing that it's a Davros's head. It's basically it's Terry Malloy with a bunch of stuff around his salt shoulders. <laughs> Just in time for Fat Tuesday. Just in time for Fat Tuesday. It's yeah, they could have done. I mean, I was not convinced at all by that. It's just the head of Davros. <laughs> it's Terry Malloy just wrapped up in Mardi Gras beads, and then with a Davros. No, mask it's not on. Terry Malloy. It's Roy Trombley. It is Roy Trombley. I do beg. I do beg your pardon. Of course. It's, how, how could I have been? AKA. How could I have Terry been? Malloy. How could I have been so mistaken? Um, <laughs> you know, because he's doing a lot of shoulder acting, yes. of course, because he's like, ah, I am. Davros, right, which requires me to move my shoulders around, <laughs> which just yeah. So that I, that wasn't successful at all, in my mm-hmm. humble opinion. Right. The other thing that I felt is I think this is also a J and T thing. Is that it seems weird to me that actually the the kind of plot mystery of the story, which is what is the Doctor up to? Right. Like why is he? seemingly letting the Daleks take the hand of Omega. Like, mm-hmm. what is his plan? Which he kind of explains, like, halfway through. That's the well, the thing we should be, like, worried about or interested in. Mm-hmm. But instead, 
what we're sold is a bunch of weird misdirections trying to uh, uh, pretend that we're really excited that Davros might turn up. Right. Um, which we're not actually excited that Davros might turn up at all. So the, the kind of big reveal, ooh, it's Davros, um, it's like, oh, yeah, well, I guess. But actually what's exciting about this story is the Doctor's, is the doctor's you know, mis- not mischievous, but the Doctor's uh, misdirection right. um, with the Hand of Omega. That's what's exciting, not mm-hmm. is it Davros or, or, or isn't it Davros. Again, I find it absolutely extraordinary in that, you know, that um, Ratcliffe just wasn't curious enough to kind of just look round and see that it was the girl. <laughs> He's like, oh my God, it's, it's a girl all this time. Uh-huh, well, like, uh-huh. she, like, who did you think you'd been talking to? Why right. didn't you just kind of crane your necks very slightly? <laughs> and you would have seen that it's, a, that it's just a young girl. Um, uh, which, yeah. again, and we were supposed to think that was Davros, basically. I think so, yeah. And then we, because he had a kind of a Davrosy sort of voice. I think that was John Leeson doing a kind of Davros voice. And then we're like, oh no, it's not Davros. It's a girl. Mm-hmm. Ooh, oh, maybe Davros will be something else, you know? And it's like, no one cares, <laughs> really, to be honest. Um, the other thing, actually, I can, and I think this is one of the reasons, again, I'm, I was remembering this when I was watching it. I think this, that's another reason why I didn't like episode three, because mm. I think that was the episode where, you know, ooh, it's revealed that it's 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 the little girl all the time. Right, right. Um, which is a pretty solid ripoff of a comic book that I was reading at that particular time oh. uh, by a, a Spanish comic book artist called Pepe Moreno. Um, and it was published in, I actually looked it up online, precisely for this for this podcast. It was published in Heavy Metal, uh, Metal Erlong. Um, in 1984, it's called Bunker 6A. Mm-hmm. Um, and the big reveal at the end of Bunker 6A is that it's a girl. It's a little girl who is being, who is the cyber computer that is like killing everyone. Oh. Um, and it's almost an exact kind of rip off of that. And I'd be very, very surprised if Ben Aron- Aronovich, who was not reading, at least if he wasn't reading um, uh, uh, Heavy Metal in 1984, he was reading the collected Pepe Moreno strips called mm-hmm. Zeppelin that I think was published in 1987. So very good chance that that is the source material for the story. I, that is the source material. And I remember thinking, oh, mm-hmm. they've just ripped off. Let's just rip that out of heavy metal. Like, I'm not watching this junk. Anyway, so yeah, so it seems to weird. That's a, that's a sidebar. But it seems weird to me that, you know, again, we're encouraged to be excited about something that's a kind of kid fan thing mm-hmm. or a fan a thing that fans, that again, the story is imagining that, fans would be excited by when actually as we know what Doctor Who fans are actually excited by is great storytelling mm-hmm. so that's what we're excited but we're not excited by like is it going to be Davros right um, and my my theory there is that's the dead hand of John Nathan Turner going like why don't we why don't we like hide Davros and then reveal him mm-hmm. um, and every all the fans will be really excited and everyone goes yeah Got sure the misdirection of the little girl ah uh, the little girl yeah well again I think my point is there like why didn't he just kind of look <laughs> round the side and Rat he would have cliff. seen it's a little girl <laughs> yes r- rather than being so surprised he's just amazed <laughs> Ah, it's a, it's a little girl all along. <laughs> Silly. Well, he's a fascist. He's probably not very clever. Yeah, what did you think of George Sewell as Ratcliffe? I thought he was pretty good. I mean, he's a great character mm-hmm. actor. Um, I mean, I didn't really buy him that well as a kind of, you know, fascist leader right, of some yeah. kind. That really didn't work mm-hmm. that well. I'm not sure how many fascists there were left in London at the, that time. I think we'd got rid of them. We'd gotten rid of the, most of them. Well, I guess, well, I guess there's, you know, a panel, that kind of thing. Well, I'm I, thinking I, I think, we, I think f- we'd gotten rid of most of the working class fascists at that point. Uh, my understanding, and this is just very casual history, is they were 
uh, rounded up during the Second World War, and they were starting to be released having served their time. Oh, interesting. And becoming, uh, you know, becoming, uh, coming out of the woodworks or coming out of the uh, prisons, oh, prisons I... again in the early 60s. And so we're trying to, uh, uh, but I think that that's what uh, Aronovich and Cartmill were referring oh, interesting. to. interesting. That is interesting. I didn't know that, but that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know. So, you know, it's nice to have Davros back. I query whether that was fully necessary. Because I, I don't think you need a Davros at all for this. Story. I think we know that there are two factions, and I think we know we suspect that. I mean, a fan knows that one of those factions is probably run by Davros. Just have mm-hmm. him there, you know. It's Davros, right? Just have him spin round, you know. In episode three, it's like, oh yeah, it is Davros. I think it would have been better if you didn't have Davros in it at all. I really think the stronger Dalek stories do not have Davros. Are going yep. to be Davros three. Yeah. I mean, and this is in no way to diminish the achievements of terry malloy who you know no. outside of being in the archers has done an amazing job at being davros um right. everyone knows my opinion they sh- davros should have stopped with um, genesis of the daleks right but there you go Would've he didn't good. and we have to have mm-hmm. him back every time um i think they've yeah, in the 80s yeah. yeah i think they've done a slightly better job with him in the new series still mm-hmm. i hope in some ways that he's that we're done with davros at this point mm-hmm. yeah Davros. Yeah, well, Davros. He's his eyes open now, so perhaps, perhaps uh, we have. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, Moffat. So more, more fan service, sci-fi fan service, with the uh, mention of Bernard and the British Rocket Group. So we have a Quatermass reference. We do. Yes. I think that's another indication of a young writer just trying to get everything in because this, this is his big shot. Aronovich is writing a Doctor Who. He's writing a Dalek story, and let's get everything in that he likes. Yeah, because he couldn't actually mention, he couldn't actually reference Quatermass at all because Nigel Neal hated Doctor Who with a passion, and no doubt would have like sued them almost immediately if they'd even mentioned the word Quater. The Quatermass. Quater. Yeah. Of course, another piece of fan service we haven't mentioned is the and next on BBC One a new series. Doc. Oh, turn the TV off. Yeah. yeah well it's not you just cut and it's it sort of like ah. yeah um <laughs> i don't know i don't know about I, that a problem there of course is it's patently not november oh it's so sunny out <laughs> it's really and again i don't know if any of you've been in london in november it's not what london's like in november i can mm-hmm. guarantee you that no it's filmed in like july or august and it looks like yes. summer the whole whole set looks like summer and i think you see leafy trees in one of the scenes in the in the cemetery so the cemetery doesn't even look very very wintry i guess so again i think really cartmel should have taken aronovich aside and said listen i love that little reference in the script to like you know doctor who starting but you know what it's not going to be convincing so let's just cut it and not have it and they, they should have just done that but they didn't so you know well this is the 25th anniversary year and so this is why oh God, it's it was in. probably jnt as well was saying we've got to have something to do with doctor who in it well this yeah. the, well this the story is so referential to the doctor who history and just the scene in the funeral parlor where the the guy on the phone says, I thought you said the doctor was this old geezer with white hair. Geezer. So they're really trying to tie everything together. And it the more they try to tie it together, the more I go, Grr! I don't yep. like it because the doctor met the Daleks for the first time in the Daleks. And this was, if you believe, after he left Gallifrey, he didn't take 
the hand of Omega with him. He didn't have this long scheme. He doesn't commit genocide on a planet level, <laughs> planet level because this is not Still, the Doctor. And I don't like this kind of uh, darkening up or myster- I don't like this kind of mysterious Doctor trying to make him. It's this. Uh, I don't like this bigging up of the Doctor, this mythology of the Doctor being this powerful Time Lord. I think he's much right. more effective when the character was on the run from his own people because he was bored yep. or wanted to make a difference and get involved yep. rather than being one of the time engineers for the t- first time travel experiments with Rasslon and Omega. I just, uh, it really he's bothers a lot, me. Doctor's a lot better when he's nobody, right. really. It's a lot better when he's nobody. And it's, you know, and then it becomes a story of like how nobody becomes somebody, right. you know, and how everyone can make a difference. Right. And you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. You don't have to be a god mm-hmm. in order to, to in order to do good. You know, you just have to be someone who wants to do good. Yeah. Um and I think I think that's a misstep. And I think, you know, it's a misstep we're still kind of paying for because like, you know, everyone still wants to know what all that was about right well it's the children of the 80s who really like that and yeah a lot of 80s children (laughs) a lot of them became pretty important in fandom and in doctor who itself they did because if you look at chibnall now he's a child of the 80s and that is his doctor who uh uh, a lot of the Doctor Who magazine editors are big fans of the 1980s. Uh, I true, think RTD's a little older, a little younger. Uh, he's a little bit older than I am, yeah. so he's older. So, he's, yeah. so he he's has proper. more of a 1970s sensibility. As does as does Moffat as yeah. well. I mean, Moffat's yeah. like roughly my age. Yeah, But uh, yeah. I, I do see with Chibnall's show running a little bit of the 80s vibe coming in, especially with the crowded TARDIS. Uh, a little more uniform look to the cast, what their wardrobe is. Right. Not really writing a crowded TARDIS very well. I don't know. Yeah. So mm, it does seem like the 80s have an impact and not necessarily always a good impact. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then that set the whole tone of the Virgin New Adventures throughout the 1990s in the wilderness years, this the Cartmel master plan, this dark, uh, all dark, very powerful Time Lord with secrets, secrets, secrets and lies. Which actually, you know, was pretty good for those novelizations. To be honest, I mean, the the Virgin New Adventures were were a lot of fun mm-hmm. in many ways. I mean, they're a bit up their own bottoms uh, <laughs> most of the time, but you know, there was it was a good outlet i mean there's some great stories i mean there's some we we should do all the virgin adventures one time we should <laughs> that's just, a like, lot read, of words <laughs> we should read one a week and then talk Ooh, about boy. it oh my god that'd be that'd be a strain anyway so um, for but, yeah so for ace they gave her some good scenes in the final final episode where she returns to the boarding house where mike's mother has borders and mike and mike confronts her with a gun and he he's you know she says well maybe you're gonna have to shoot me after all or something like that and then just her comforting the little girl after the kind of weird depossession scene with the lightning bolts or the lightning from her hands the emperor palpatine star wars effect that is kind of weird Mm -hmm. yeah it's a little underacted yeah Yeah. a little bit underacted but i mean she Um, was very creepy i mean she she was creepy yeah especially when she was you know losing losing hold of her plasma 
her plasma glow. Um, yeah, and I, was it was it clear how she'd gotten to be an evil girl? No, I no, think that was left for the imagination. Yeah, the Daleks had but the, you know, set her up as being an evil girl. That was a somehow. trick they missed, you know, because she obviously was a contemporary of Susan at Cole Hill. Right. An, an, another unearthly child. Yeah, if you put it like that. How do how do we feel on the ancillary cast? How do we like the prototype unit? Um, the cast worked fairly well for me. I mean, I like Pamela Salem, so anytime Pamela Salem she's is good. in Doctor yeah. Who, great. I was, was a bit confused about Allison. That seemed to be like, well, what's she doing wandering around? She doesn't really have a job Kind to of do. a superfluous character. In they could have cut way. her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought well, it was... Well, they know, know what they could have done. They could have exterminated her, like, early on, and then everyone would have been sad, mm. and that would have given them a motivation to fight the Daleks even more. Mm. Could be. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I... <laughs> well, maybe she should have turned out to be the evil little girl. Well, or would have been... Or maybe she was her big sister or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know. That I, works. It was weird. Uh, I thought it was sloppy writing to have another uh, Mike... Uh, Sergeant Mike, who uh, betrays... Oh, that is. Oh, I, I yeah, that, you, you're right. Yeah, of course. So I was picking a lot of Mike Yates vibe out of uh, Sergeant Mike Smith. Right. And so I I thought that was kind of sloppy writing to use same Mike character. Maybe that was intentionally a right. callback, but uh, maybe not. Um, yes, obviously Ace has appalling taste in men. Um, <laughs> well, I think that's why if you look at it, uh, as she goes to, well, the spoiler, as we progress with Ace, she's a little less interested in the men, and she's always teaming up with a girlfriend. She always has a, a oh. girlfriend in the stories coming oh. forward, so we'll yeah, see. Well, we'll see. <laughs> mm, yeah. Ooh, yeah. And we end in a funeral, and this, unlike in the A, or unlike in series 11, the doctor doesn't go into the funeral. That's the time to leave. Yes. Yes, yeah. that is. And I think it's a nice a, a nice ending. It it it's a it clean break. Clean break. Clean break, mm-hmm. which is good. Yeah, it's good to have a clean break. Yeah. Yeah, but it's still, you know, the funeral is actually the smoking ruin that he's left Scarrow, which is, you right. know. Right. Well, yeah. Through the falls are pleased. <laughs> yeah, poor falls, poor falls. What have they done with their little costumes and everything? That is a question I've always had because we we set up the the Daleks and the little well, the Kalas and the Thals, and yeah. the two times that we visit Scarrow, right? Or well, yep. two of the times that we visited Scarrow with Genesis and then the Daleks, we have the Kalas and the Thals. We see the Thals on was it Spiridon in yeah, Planet did. of the Daleks? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. they're obviously of similar spacefaring people. Uh, I wonder if there's Thal colonies that we. I think, I mean, you know, we'll if we want to be really wanky about it, I mean, the Thals have obviously left Scarrow by that point. Mm. I mean, because there's no way that you can have two, you know, bitterly opposed yeah. races on the same planet who also have spaceships. Yeah. It would be like, well, this is just ridiculous. Yeah. Like, why don't they just kill each other? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I think I think they're Thal colonies. I think, um, I don't know how they got colonies, to be honest. Um, Maybe they happened before the War of the Collards. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. But that would be going a long time. You would have thought they would have, you know, they would have pulled the colonies. Right. Maybe the colonies got cut off or something. Yeah, but in the war. Well, it's a story to be filled in by Big Finish. I'm sure. I'm sure John Peel is. I mean, have you read that one where he ties everything together? Isn't there? No. 
like a War of the Daleks or something, where there's a it's one of the BBC novelizations yeah. where basically he fixes all this. Yeah. Um, I haven't read it. It's I should probably should maybe get that mm. and read it. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like Moffat trying to fix all the holes. I'm just not. I just can't be bothered. I just don't. I'm just not that into that. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's again. I mean, I think it is. Um, uh, one of the joys of Doctor Who is there's very very little continuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, it's pro- not Star Trek. Yeah, it's not That's Star Trek. One of the Trek. main things about Doctor Who, it's not Star Trek. I think uh, I think we have another little spark. I, overall, overall, yeah. I think we see some good development with Ace. Kind of a uh, an uneven hand in script editing and script writing. I think a few things stand out. The one thing that really stands out as a negative is them kind of forgetting about ace between uh, part two and three when they blow up the dalek but other than that i think sophie aldred's uh, personification of ace and the material that she's been given to work with are pretty pretty good i think it would have been Mm -hmm. stronger if allison wasn't in the story because you would have given her some of that yeah bits to do it would have given exactly it would have given ace more stuff to do I, i said i'm i'm kind of yeah it's weird that um yeah, I, I, the Allison character is mm-hmm. confusing, and I think again one more pass through the script editing phase, and we could have um, we right. dispensed with that character. Yeah. yeah. So, all in all, I think the story is pretty good for Ace. For Doctor Who itself, I don't like this path that it set the series on. The direction yeah. it's going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think. I mean, I think actually, when I mean, I think the kind of dark plotting Doctor. It's better when they don't try and apply that kind of dark plotting activity to something as kind of pivotal and key as the Daleks, basically. Right. Um, I think it's more kind of effective when we have new enemies that we haven't kind of met before and he kind of can plot against them with sort of no... Fenric. Uh, real, yeah, with kind of near, no real consequence because no one really mm-hmm. cares that much. Um, right. Yeah. And it is, you know, it is it is really, uh, it's not like the Doctor to destroy a whole planet, even if Daleks... Right, you know, um, uh, and do I have the right? <laughs> yeah, do I have the right? Yeah, and to imply that he's been doing this since he very first turned up, you know, when he was an old whitehead geezer, right? Um, not right, really, not right, right. not mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. So I really don't remember much about watching this. I I'm I made a guess that I was probably home watching gopher hockey that night and then after the game switched over to doctor who but uh i have very little recollection of first watching remembrance of the daleks other than it had daleks and then a special weapons dalek yeah how about you i can remember pretty clearly watching episode three Mm -hmm. and that is all that i watched of it i can remember um, I would have been in London then. Um, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have watched the first episode because that was broadcast on October 5th, which is my birthday, fact Ooh. fans. Um, so I probably would have been out that night. Mm-hmm. But I think I know what I was doing that night. I won't talk about that, though. Um, <laughs> pretty sure I remember. You weren't um, watching Doctor Who, which you I wasn't watching Doctor Who, which is what I wasn't doing. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so I was. We I had a flat... Mm-hmm. In London, in uh, Pimlico, and I just first started my first term, my first semester, at um, the Courtauld Institute, 
itch, which was part of London University. Mm. And I was there for two years. Was that for history? That was for art history. Ooh. Yeah, I know. And uh, yeah, so I'm pretty sure I watched it. And I think I can remember not being impressed by the wobbly Daleks and then not watching the following episode. (laughs) Which brings us full circle. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. What's next? Uh, Happiness Patrol. Ah, all right. Pink Tardis time. Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah. that will be next week? Yeah, I think so. It is the Happiness Patrol, right? Yeah, it is the Happiness Patrol. It is Happiness Patrol. Patrol. Yeah. yeah. Good. Helen A., Pink Tardis. Yep. You know. Thatcher uh, era. Thinly veiled satire against Margaret Thatcher. Mm-hmm. See, Doctor Who is always political. Always mm-hmm. political. Uh, I, will, I haven't actually rewatched it again yet, but be prepared for a lot of... Uh, me talking about Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> so, until next week, I guess you've been listening to episode 108 of the Metabolus Two podcast. I have been talking about Remembrance of the Dalek with Ben, and I've been talking about Remembrance of the Daleks with David. And enjoy your unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> Goodbye. Actually, um, what made me think of that is like, you know, can you imagine the character that Ace was supposed to be walking around London in, I guess, you know, she's supposed to be from 1987 or something with one of those boom boxes, <laughs> but playing Hall and Oates or whatever she was playing when she, when she first arrives on the scene. I don't, I don't know what, like, you know, hair metal nonsense that was that was coming out of her boom box, but it certainly wasn't what she w- her character would have been playing in real life. Right. It wasn't very punk. <laughs> no, it wasn't very punk. It wasn't very rap. As I said, it was... It, you know, it would have been funny if they would have put uh, the... The, the song that Susan was listening to in Coal Hill School. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, I mean, the, the boombox I thought was for the little handheld transistor radio. I thought it was supposed to be a, a, a callback or an analog of that. Oh, I didn't get that. But yeah, you're right. It must be, of course. Yeah, she, was it John something and the Common Men? I can't yeah. remember what it is now. Yeah. John Smith and the Common Men. John Smith and the Common Men, yeah. They yeah. should have just done... Had got, dear, that really... Dear, 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 dear. <laughs> <laughs> that really would have made her into like a huge nerd. Uh, she did proto hipster there. Proto hipster, yeah. She'd given her a mustache and like no socks and skinny jeans and skinny jeans. Yeah, mm-hmm. and a fixie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been hilarious. Oh, out of out of time. I'm I'm calling for the DVD to go back and fix that as well. <laughs> Just to, like turn Ace into a into a Hoxton Hoxton hipster. Mm-hmm.